Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with Australian-based business excellence guy, Rael Bricker. After 30-plus years as a serial entrepreneur, dabbling in everything from education to finance to fitness, he has now made it his mission to share his knowledge and expertise with others. Seeing the light that comes on and connections being made in people's heads as to how they can weave his experiences and advice into their businesses reinforces that this is where he needs to be in his life. In 2013, after the discovery that he had two blocked arteries, things change quite drastically. He gets into all of this and so much more. Enjoy the interview. Again, it's great to meet you. Thank you for taking a minute out for the show. And the first thing that I want to ask you is the last three years, we've gone through quite an ordeal with COVID. It's worked on all of us in very different ways. So I'm curious with you, how did you survive that time period and how has it changed the way that you live your life and conduct business now? Okay, thanks, Joe. That's actually a very interesting uh, question. Prior to 2020, I was really doing keynote speaking. So flying to pretty cool, exotic places, doing a 45-minute, one-hour talk, hopping on a plane and going somewhere else. And I was enjoying that and I got to see cool things like, you know, sunrise over Mount Everest and all those sorts of things. But I found during COVID, I switched my focus from big stages to small classrooms to, you know, online four-month business academies, small business academies. And suddenly I was getting much more fulfilled, not as well paid, but much more fulfilled because I was spending four months with business entrepreneurs who were growing every time I spoke to them, every time we had a session together. And over that four-month period, I grew as a person because my facilitation skills dramatically increased. I learned a lot about being a facilitator and not a talking head on stage. So I grew as a person. I learned how to stop and listen as opposed to just letting you know letting me talk for 45 minutes and then waltz off stage and go somewhere else i think that was the biggest change for me during COVID. i mean we were in this weird bubble in western australia where we actually didn't have COVID by and large i mean i think we had about three weeks of lockdowns um but our whole state which is um half the size of australia was locked down you couldn't come in or out for about a year And so we lived a relatively normal COVID-free existence, but within our bubble. That's interesting because, you know, from our perspective in the States, I do remember that about Australia being in a much different place. But the government reaction around the world was vastly different than the United States. There wasn't this big dividing line. There was a unity. You didn't have all of these people saying you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that. I think there was a level of calm that was imbued by good leadership around the world um oh absolutely i mean i think you know at the i think it extended too long like particularly where we are in western australia the the isolation of our state probably extended two or three months longer than it should have uh but but by and large, it was life was relatively normal. I mean, I set up, I spent a fortune on IT infrastructure for one of my other businesses, and my staff ended up working a total of five weeks from home. The rest of the time, they were in the office. So, you know, the, yeah, 
the, the, the government response here in certain places was a bit more knee-jerk reaction, but I think on a federal Australian level, it was it was it was relatively calm and. You know, and I, I still laugh with friends that when COVID first started, no one was talking about wearing masks. They were just talking about washing your hand twenty, your hands twenty five times a day. And suddenly, the masks came in, and everyone stopped washing their hands. Interesting. It sounds like you actually got a leg up on things during this time. You discovered new things, and it was there were silver linings for you. Um, yeah, there were. I mean, it was. You know, I have. At the time, I I had two of my children not living in the same state, and so didn't get to see them for quite an extended period of time. Um, so that was part of the, you know quite challenging. Um, you know, the isolation of where we were meant that at certain times the rest of Australia just moved ahead, and we sort of stayed behind. But I'm on a professional level much happier now. When I look at video footage of me from 2019 um, on stage, and then I look at video footage of me in 2023 on stage, it's a different person. There's much more empathy. There's a laugh. There's a lightness in my step. And that came from my, my, you know, learning journey over that time. So for 30 plus years, you've been a serial entrepreneur, but I want to kind of boil down what you do a little bit. To, to a more simpler point, I'm going to put you in front of a bunch of grade school kids at a career day, third graders, let's say. One of them looks up at you and asks, what do you do for a living? How do you answer them? I say that I help people be the best they can be. In simple terms, in, 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 in more adult terminology, I, I um, help people become more excellent, which is showing up as the best version of themselves every day. And how do I do that? It's some, somewhat on personal level, somewhat on a business level, and more recently on, you know, embracing technologies like artificial intelligence. So depending on who the client is that I'm working with, um, a lot of the work I do is around leadership, culture, strategy, working on those three areas to create excellence. Cause that's my belief is that excellent businesses exhibit strength in those three areas, leadership, culture, and strategy. And so that's probably 50% of my life. And the other 50% is running a financial services group with um, it's somewhere north of 3 billion in mortgages that we've settled over the time I've owned it. So when you were in the third grade or you were younger in grade school, what was your dream? What did you want to be when you grew up? Um, probably from my early teens i knew that i never wanted to work in a corporation i have no idea why um i mean i read a book when i was probably just finished high school called the peter principle and i actually won a competition at toastmasters based on that book and the peter principle said that in any organization everybody will rise to their level of incompetence and i and i've always been amused by that statement but I, for some reason, just grew up with this idea that I always wanted to be my own boss, started my first businesses when I was 13 or 14. Um, you know, I had to financially do that. But it's just always been this, this obsession with I can do it. And that's probably got me into a mo- more trouble and over my life as well. This absolute, you know, absolute belief in self 
that says I can do it. And suddenly when imposter syndrome kicks in, like it does with all of us, and I go, where the hell did that come from? Because I'm this absolutely focused person who says I can do it. So let's go back to the beginnings of your life and kind of get a better idea of, of how you became who you are today. Talk to me a little bit about your childhood and how some of these seeds got into you to, to want to be into business and to help other people. You obviously have a lot of energy for other people and give a lot. How did all of those seeds begin and grow into who you are today? Well, I guess I grew up with, you know, parents and my late father, my father died in 99, but, you know, parents who were always involved in some level of community organization. And I grew up with that. And even at school level, I was involved in community groups. I remember in my final year at school, one of the teachers said to me, what are you going to do now that school's finished? You've got nothing to be involved with. So that didn't stop the rest of my life. So I guess I was this kid at school who, who was a little bit probably ADHD as they diagnose me today. Um, probably a little unfocused, but reasonably clever in that I could get away with getting good marks and a lot and a little bit of work. Um, I studied engineering for my sins. And, and again, I say to people today, I got to third year engineering and I did not yet understand what an engineer did. Um, bizarrely, I just finished my undergraduate degree, went to work as an engineer in the mines. And again, did not understand work 6,000 foot underground. We have deep level mines in South Africa where I grew up. But, you know, jumping through those hoops, I then went off and did a master's in engineering and software engineering. I was one of the first software engineers at the time, um, doing things like object-oriented programming without being too technical. Also did an MBA. Um, and in 1990, I started my first real business. I mean, I'd, I'd had other businesses in between, run a mobile discotheque, doing parties and all sorts of things. But my first real business started in 1990 when uh, my partner and I started an education business aimed primarily at the students. So 1990 was significant in South Africa because that was when Nelson Mandela was released. And there was a suddenly this big hunger for education amongst the previously disenfranchised and disadvantaged community. And we didn't capitalize on that. We actually didn't know what we were doing. And I think that's part of one of my life philosophies as well. We just started this business, started an education business, and we were in the right place at the right time. 20 students in 1990, 4,000 students and six campuses by 1996. So, and then we reverse listed that into a shell, into a listed shell. And I moved on, went into venture capital for five years. It was at the time of the start of the tech boom. So my skills in software engineering were quite important, and I was having a lot of fun in the venture capital space. I moved to Australia, joined another tech fund uh, for two years. But after two years of working for somebody else, I needed to be my own boss. And so in 2001, went out on my own with no real plan, ended up starting a financial services group that I still own today. It has $3 billion, um, plus in mortgage settlements. But 10 years ago, in fact, this April 2013, I was training for a marathon after a season of triathlons, and I just, just discovered that I had two blocked arteries and I needed two stents. And so 10 years to, to the month, I had two stents, and that focused me on being who I am today, which is sharing my experiences with the world, and serving the world in a different way, serving business to make them more excellent. And so the last 10 years have seen the evolution 
of the excellent sky from the, I guess, shock at age 49 of facing my own mortality. So one of the things that fuels us are those that we admire and look up to. Who's been a hero for you or a role model? You know what? Interestingly, I mean, you know, at times very different people. So Richard Branson, Elon Musk. Um, but at different spaces, I'm a firm believer in, like I have had mentors, but only in my 50s have I actually admitted that they were my mentors. But often you you have to actually accept that a person or a, a person in your life or an experience or somebody you look up to may only give you something, you know, at one point. You can't really focus your whole life on following them. And so, you know, there were times I was inspired by Richard Branson, you know, after he published, you know, uh, you know, do it, you know, uh, screw it, let's do it. Um, Elon Musk, you know, the most amazing I met Elon, you know, many, many years ago before he was famous and, 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 and super billionaire, um, growing up in South Africa. But, you know, there were at times different people have done different things. You know, I have in the speaking industry, the most amazing mentors around the world. And they're not always my mentor, but they've taught me things and made me grow up and mature. And in my late 50s, I can say, yep, I think I'm starting to grow up. And so, you know, some of them are people who, you know, like my my mentor and, and partner on my own podcast, who has the high, one of the, the one of the highest civilian medals in Australia for services to the global speaking community. So, you know, as a person who gives of himself and has given for 20 plus years, he inspires me to give more. And that's what I do in our global speaking community. So, you know, there's many of those people that are different. And then there's authors and, you know, a fellow speakers that I'll go, wow, that person's brilliant on stage. What can I learn from them? Um, And how can I make myself better? So if you can meet one person alive on the planet right now and spend a little time with them, who would it be? It would actually have to be Nelson Mandela, who's obviously not alive anymore. Um, Just because I think Nelson Mandela had the most amazing quality of forgiveness that after 27 years of of, of internment, I nearly said internship, internment um, in jail, you know, breaking rocks with a sledgehammer, real hard labor for many, many years, he actually emerged from jail and was prepared to forgive and spoke of the concept of loving people, not hating people, and that love and hate are the same emotion, so why don't we just apply more to love? Um, I, You know, I think as a person, I think he's amazing. I mean, you know, I think Tony Robbins has built an amazing business. I would love to spend some time with Tony Robbins, not because I need any motivation. I mean, I think he's a brilliant motivator, but I want to understand what he did to build the Tony Robbins group to what he did. You know, so it's a different level. I'm absolutely motivated to jump out of bed at five o'clock in the morning or six o'clock in the morning and exercise and, and, and put in, you know, lots of hours doing lots of things. But there are people like that that I'd love to understand how they thought about their business because that's what really makes me interested. Speaking of, you know, you talk about motivation and, 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 the things that you've done in your life up to this point, let's just say that tonight you have a dream and you run into the 20 year old version of yourself and you could give that younger version of you a piece of advice based on the wisdom that you've gained in your life and the life that you've led. 
what advice would you give your younger self? Um, I actually would probably give my younger self the the words I used in, in, in the opening chapter of my book called Dive In, where I said that I was at, I was 55 at the time, but I said, in my 55 years, I've sometimes mixed up confidence over confidence and arrogance, and I'm starting to learn the difference. And I think I would be telling my 20-year-old self to tone down the arrogance. Um, and that there's nothing wrong with confidence, even overconfidence. But when you step over the line to arrogance, you annoy a lot of people. And I've probably done that equally in my life. So of all of the things that you've accomplished in your life, all the places you've been and the wonderful things that have happened, what are you the proudest of? My three children. Because all three of them are are in their own way, living in different cities in the world, um, uh, which makes for an interesting family dynamic. But my three children are all out there as amazing human beings committed to trying to save the planet or save the planet from itself or save people from itself and just add their own contribution to the world. And I think I look at them and, you know, academically I have two master's degrees and I'm really proud of the fact that my two older kids both got master's degrees in the last year. Not because of the fact that they got a master's degree, but because they were committed enough to expand and extend themselves to be better. And I think that's, but, but just being with them and seeing when we have a family gathering and the level of, of, of speaking between them and their understanding of the world, I don't think I had that level of understanding in my twenties. Of all of the clients that you've had and all of the business dealings that you've had, what's been the best client response, fan letter, so to speak, that you've ever gotten back from the work you've done? Well, I mean, it's interesting. So they're different, different. I mean, uh, the one was my very, very first professional speaking engagement um, and, and a testimonial I received that that basically said, wow, Rails changed my life. Um, and obviously that one kind of sticks with me for a long time. But one of the things I teach people when I talk about sales and marketing and running businesses, particularly in the consumer space, is to be cognizant of people and try and remember things about people. I know that's hard. A lot of people say to me they can't remember what they had for breakfast, never mind who they spoke to yesterday. Well, I actually have this almost, I'd say, you know, weird ability to remember weird things about people. And so um, I have in my mortgage space 14,500 personal clients and that I've dealt with over the 20-odd years that we've been doing the business. And a client called me this week, actually, and said, I'm sure you don't remember me was how the conversation started. He said, I'm sure you don't remember me because we haven't spoken since 2014. And I just wanted to get some advice from you. And I said, and this was a random call. It wasn't a call that I could prepare for, like a message while I was returning his call. He had just called through to the office. And I, and I, and I listened and I said, I'm just trying to remember, but I think you met a new partner about six or seven years ago and you were getting married and moving to another country and you were an engineer once and I quoted which company I thought he worked for. And there was stunned silence on the phone. And he said, 90% of it was right. I worked for another company as engineer. But the fact that I could call those um, 
those you know facts that were you know broad enough but it's but specific enough about him out of the back of my head he's referred in those two weeks since i spoke to him another three clients so i made the effort i taught myself early on to be able to do that and i get this hey wow reaction from lots and lots of people in that space and that's a skill i try and teach entrepreneurs now that you should always try and remember something about people and and when you talk to them or reference something just do that i mean to me that's to me that's the skill and the fact that i get this amazing reaction from people when i do it that's great i mean yes i get you know i do lots of talking and lots of strategy sessions for companies and communications and sales and leadership training and i get great testimonials but they're very few and there's there's one other that i indulge you with in 2004 sorry in 1994 my business partner and i employed a maid who cleaned the offices that in which we ran our business and in 1994 she came to us and said her son had just finished his final year at school he didn't have a great um he didn't have a great uh, schooling um but um could we help him and we owned an education business so we said sure we'll give him a scholarship to come and study that was in 1994 in 2017 i got this random message that i nearly never even read on linkedin from a guy whose name i didn't recognize contacting me and thanking me and my business partner for giving him the scholarship because he had just been employed or appointed as the marketing director of a major corporate in South Africa and for me that taught me a whole lot about paying it forward about doing the right thing and really a, a i guess a tribute to to myself and my partner at the time who went yeah sure we'll give you an opportunity that's wonderful so let's get to the exact essence of you Everyone out there has a perception of you, your family, friends, clients, colleagues, but ultimately you live your life. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? It, it changes weekly and daily, but I think I am this person who has this understanding of business at, at a small and medium business level. I'm not uh, I'm not a major corporate person. I am a a small medium business specialist that i can work with people and understand their business and ask the really tricky questions that's who i see myself as i love other people's success um you know i i i met with some people today uh, about something and and at, you know and he was telling me how well he was doing i said that's fantastic and he said most people look at me strangely when i talk about how well i've done and i went no I love it that you're successful. I don't care whether you're more successful than me, whether your business is bigger. I love success and I love the stories behind it. And it is those stories that I have have the ability to translate for other businesses and say, look, you know, you, you know, th- this business has done it this way, but you know, potentially carries away you can use the same idea in your business. And so that's who I am. I'm that person who can synthesize vast quantities of information 
about weirdly different things. Um, there was a technique that I used to talk about, you know, 30 odd years ago called functional benchmarking and it came out of Harvard Business School and was quite academic. But essentially it said, don't try and model your business on your nearest competitor who may or may not be more successful. But break your business down into specific areas that you want to improve and then model yourself on the best in that space. And, and an example they used to use 30 years ago was if you wanted the best billing system at the time for your business, well, one of the best in the world at that time was American Express. So go and model your business billing on how American Express does it. And and that's the ability that I bring to clients is that ability to take the knowledge from, you know, the people who started making from Nespresso when they started making Nespresso capsules and apply that to somebody who's, you know, got a printing business. How? Because a particular aspect of Nespresso's business at the time applies to their printing business now. And how can we synthesize that together? That's brilliant. So if anyone out there wants to learn more about you, uh, get involved with anything business-wise, where's the best place on the web for them to go? Oh, railbricker.com, R-A-E-L-B-R-I-C-K-E-R.com. And for your listeners who are listening, they can go to railbricker.com slash free book, and they can get a free copy of Dive In, Lessons Learned Since Business School, the first 33 years since business school and what I've learned since I left the business school. Wonderful. Hey, Rail, this has been great. I really appreciate you opening up your story. Best of luck with everything. Thank you. Thank you very much, Joe. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. 